Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror, and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, can, can we just run through uh, any... Were there any particular surprises? Yes. Two surprises for me. The biggest one is the complete and utter disappointment and shock that the Lego movie was snubbed for Best Animated Film. That very, is stunning. Very bothered by that. Yeah. Because it clearly was the best animated film of the year. I was bothered that it won, that uh, it didn't win at the Golden Globes 2 and How to Train Your Dragon 2 picked that one up. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what these people are thinking, but uh, it definitely was the best animated film of the year. And these people are all, I don't know what they're doing. Yes, that was crazy. But that said, it's probably, what do you think between, I mean, what do you think is going to take that one? I know probably we're not doing a pick show, but I think it's probably going to be How to Train Your Dragon too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any and other... The, other thing, the other thing that bothered me was, uh, you know, they've set up this thing where they can have up to ten Best Picture nominations, yeah. and the facts that the fact that Foxcatcher and Wild, uh, neither of them got nominated for Best Picture, really kind of uh, irked me a wee bit. Yeah. Have you seen Whiplash? I haven't seen Whiplash. It's uh, it has it's been such a limited release. It's not ever yeah. been playing close to me. So I'm hoping that now it's going to actually expand a bit so that I will actually be able to see it. Yeah, that that one I haven't seen. I also have not seen Selma. I haven't either. Um but you know, there are some really solid films in Best Picture, but those those are the two because I haven't seen them that I figure probably shouldn't be on the list. And America, well, no, but I mean, there's eight, so give they have room to put two more. Oh, that's on, so right. I can't on just count. add those other ones. Where in are there. the other two? How come they didn't do ten? It's that whole weird rule where a film has to be have received enough votes, I think, in order to be um, up for one of the ten. Oh. So clearly, I guess you know, Foxcatcher, Wild, um, Into the Woods, uh, none of those received enough votes to actually get it onto that list of 10. But, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's all silliness because, you know, Bennett Miller was nominated for Best Director, but Foxcatcher wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I don't just don't even understand how that happens. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Whiplash, I think there was, a, there was some sort of controversy around Whiplash, wasn't there? The fact that, oh, I remember what it was. This, this one is bananas to me, as long as we're talking about craziness. Mm-hmm. And again, I haven't seen Whiplash, but this makes this this is crazy. You note it is in the best adapted screenplay category. Oh yeah, right. Do you know, I do think you that, know I, why? Yes, I think it's all stupid. Insanity. Insanity. Well, is it is it insanity here or the WGA? I'm trying to remember which one is the one that's insane. I think it's the I I'm I'm actually not sure, but the 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 thing as I understand it is this that uh, when they made the film, uh, written by uh, Damien Chazelle, uh, I think it's WGA now that you say that, um, yeah. that they actually produced a scene from the film as a way to raise 
capital to make the film, to, to right. generate investment, to show this, this film is worth being made, here's what it's going to look like. So it is a sequence from the film. It's not a short based on the, the, the story of Whiplash. It is an actual scene from the actual script of Whiplash. But because that was produced and finished, uh, the full film based on the same script is considered an adaptation. Yeah, which is bonkers. Which is bonkers. I mean, the the fact that, you know, uh, the the decline of the studio system means we're going to be seeing more and more of these kinds of uh, of tools, finance tools, being employed, I think, going forward. And I think it's just really a shame that, that somewhere the rules uh, are not, well, I don't know, if the rules are not flexible— or the people who are enforcing the rules are not flexible one way or the other. This is, it's just silliness. Well, it's like the same thing. The the strange nomination, I thought, when Memento was nominated for Best right. Original Screenplay, but that was clearly based on the short film uh, or short story that his brother had written, exactly. Memento Mori. Um, but they, I don't know, somehow Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan argued with the WGA or the, the, whoever it was, the Academy about the fact, oh, it's not really based on that. It was, that was just inspiration. I don't know what they did, but somehow they ended up getting it, uh, at a best, um, best original screenplay nomination for that. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know. They, their rules are wacky and I don't think it always makes very much sense. Truly. Well, yeah. Anyway, there are uh, actually some really solid films uh, up for, uh, you know, the the solid films that you expected to hit, I think, generally hit, if not in all the right places. Right. So. Right. Uh, okay, so that's the big news, right? Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? It's the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Yo. And we spoil movies. And tonight on the show, we continue our first official series of 2015 of the early works of Sir Alec Guinness, the charming crime caper, the Lavender Hill mob. Uh, but before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Follow us on Twitter, The Next Reel, Facebook, The Next Reel. And if you are an active Instagrammarian, you can mm. join us at Instagram.com slash the next reel and play the Instagram hashtag pony prize hashtag get Cameron 2015 hashtag <laughs> Standy versus the people hashtag guess the movie challenge. Andy, how did we do this week? It was not too bad of a week. Uh, again, four images in and uh, Joe Jolie 23 uh, figured it out. The movie was the uh the uh, film black narcissus which mm. uh from uh you know, michael powell and emmerich pressburger 1947 so yeah it's got some gorgeous images this is one that i have yet to catch up with and i it's one that it's on my list of shame i keep meaning to see it and i just haven't but i've got to say every time i see images from it not just here but anywhere i'm always struck by the just amazing imagery yes. of the film and it's so it's definitely one that i want to check out and uh Congratulations to Joe Jolie, 23, entered to win the 2015 Pony Prize. Wonderful, wonderful selection. Yes, indeed. Uh, don't forget, if you haven't visited thenextreel.com lately and clicked on the T-shirt in the sidebar to order your very own special edition Next Reel Top 5 2014 
commemorative t-shirts. You should do it quick. Just a couple of weeks left. I am wearing mine right now. It is American mm. Apparel. It's very soft, easy on my baby soft skin. It's a very <laughs> high quality shirt. And of course, uh, you are supporting the show with every single purchase. So thank you very much to those who have already done so. Uh, and please head over there, buy the shirt. It's really nice. Uh, Excellent. And now we have a little bit of housekeeping. We're changing some things up, yes? Uh, yes. What yes, are we, we are. What are we changing? And why is we, it such a brilliant idea? Well, uh, we were looking at our schedule of films that we are talking about over the next six months, and we realized, I mean, it, you know, I think it's a pretty good schedule that we have put together. You can all check it out over on Letterboxd on our watch list. That's letterboxd.com slash the next reel. And you can see all the films we're going to be talking about uh, through the middle of the year. Well, we had a series in here. Um, we have our Alec Guinness series and then our Listener's Choice, which I forgot to mention also. Cameron Ryan picked Delicatessen, which is going to be a wonderful film to discuss. Truly. Um, after that, we were going to do a Seven Samurai film uh, series of films that are in the family of Seven Samurai. And we realized that, hey, Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt are doing a, uh, with, uh, under the direction of Anton Fuqua, a uh, remake of The Magnificent Seven. Let's push this series off until that uh, movie is released and we can kind of time it to build that into the series. We thought that might be fun. So we are actually going to have a little hole in our uh, schedule after Alec Guinness series and then we've got the Delicatessen episode. We have four episodes that are actually going to be, did, do you want to tell, tell the people what it's going to be? Or do you want me to? Uh, no, I think you you deserve the honor of doing this. <laughs> we are going to have a mystery series. It's going to be a kind of fun one to to play along with. We'll have four episodes. Each one will have a, uh, a connection to the next one. And they're all going to somehow be tied together by some... Uh, some fact that uh, we're going to be kind of waiting to see what uh, what people can figure out, if, if anyone can figure out what connects the four films. And there may be some obscure connections. We're going to be, we have our very specific connection between the four, and that's the one we're going to be looking for. Yeah, the connection um, we're thinking of. Can't yes. just come up with anything and win. You got to... Right. They're all color be. films. That doesn't, that doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're going to have a very specific connection between all four films. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see if people can figure it out. I love it. I think this yeah. is a great idea. And, and uh, so we, we're doing And what is the – if you win, what do you get? I think that we're going to get them one of our shirts. <laughs> nice. What do you think of that? No, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> just came up with that just now. <laughs> feels really super generous. <laughs> that is really good, and uh, we love handing out shirts. Now that we have shirts, we're going to hand them out every chance we get. Here, here. <laughs> uh, and uh, so there it is. Change is a-coming. Uh, we're not going to be putting all of these on the letterbox watch list. Be aware that it is coming, and we will let you know each week what the next movie is going to be, and you can try and piece it together. Yep. First first one to uh, let us know on one of the various social channels, Twitter, Facebook, uh, etc. Yeah, these episodes start going live February about February 20th. So you've, right. you've got about a month before this series goes live. There you go. And with that, Andrew, let's do trailers. <laughs> My trailer looks just completely wacky uh, something about this film uh just strikes me 
like it's going to be something that I will really enjoy. This is The Voices. It is uh, Marjani Satrapi, I think is how you say her name. Um, the director of, um, what was the film that she directed recently, uh, just a few years ago, is Persepolis, I believe. Yeah, the really fascinating Iranian animated film. I did not see it. Um, I didn't either, but I've heard it's fascinating. I'm giving that away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well done. That was a nice, yes, yes, nice yeah. poem on that one. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, and then she's done a few other films after that, uh, Chicken with Plums and The Gang of the Hotas, and uh, they all look very interesting. And uh, this one equally looks interesting. It definitely looks a little more, um, I I don't know if grounded in reality is the right thing to say, because it definitely doesn't, but it looks... (laughs) Uh, it's it's not quite as fantastical as some of the other ones, but it still is a little wacky. Ryan Reynolds stars in this as a um, uh, a mentally ill factory worker who uh, all of a sudden becomes a killer because his cat and his dog actually talk to him, and so we're not really sure if he's hearing voices and he you know because he's crazy he thinks that his pets are talking to him or if his pets are actually really talking to him it's uh it plays with that idea in a very interesting way and it just looks really funny uh Gemma Arterton is in it Anna Kendrick and Jackie Weaver and uh, you know i don't know it looks just so crazy and seeing uh um Ryan Reynolds as this this poor guy stuck with these talking animals telling him uh, to do these things. It there's something really strange about it, and I find it appealing. And Ryan Reynolds is the sort of person who has that appealing personality and just that that look that you can kind of buy into, kind of a puppy dog look that um, you can see him being told to do these things by these animals. And so I I don't know, I just bought into it hook line and sinker and I'm quite excited to check it out. <laughs> I loved this trailer. I loved it a lot. Um and and I find myself like quoting the animals all day long since I watched it, you know, that little bit <laughs> at the end with the dog. With the dog, you know, hey, you know that thing when I told you that <laughs> I think you're was... okay. I've uh, I've changed my mind on. Changed, changed my, my opinion mind. on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're a serial killer. <laughs> it just looks fantastic. I, uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Ryan Reynolds. I think he has just a great screen personality, and and uh, so I'm very excited to see him do this. And and I even liked him in, uh, you know, Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place. Hmm. You remember that show? Nope. It's funny. I show. thought you were going to say Green Lantern. <laughs> I even uh, okay. Uh, guilty pleasure. It's on my uh-huh. list. Okay. I enjoy only because I enjoy him in that film. I can I look forward to a reboot of Green Lantern. I think it's got a lot of, you know, good stuff. The movie itself was, you know, well, Little, never, never mind. Yeah. Anyway, I'm very excited about the film. When did you say it comes out? Uh, it's actually opening uh, February 6th, and I believe it's it's opening February 6th, limited in theaters, and it will go streaming that day as well. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I have pets that talk to me too, and so I I totally know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they're not telling you to go kill people. Well, not yet. Namely, me. <laughs> no, not yet, and you live far away. That's true. Uh, all right, my turn. I don't know what the deal is with me this week. I you know I hate horror films, but I do love that Julia style. So I am caught betwixt a cruel and unforgiving genre. And a beautiful and talented brick wall. Uh, she, this the film I am talking about is Out of the Dark from director Luis Quil- Quiles. Quiles. 
Wispies and writers uh, Javier Gullion Gullion and David Pastor, uh, and it tells the story of a young family moving to Colombia, so mom can take over a manufacturing plant only to discover, guess what? The house is haunted. Uh, This looks like uh, Luis uh, Quiez. I already forgot how to pronounce that. Quiles is, Quiles is on his, uh, I think it's his first feature here, but I did very much enjoy Enemy with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, which was written by Javier Goulon. And uh, from David Pastor, I have this disease thriller, uh, The Last Days. It's in my queue right now, and that looks great, but I'm a sucker for disease films. So Scott Speedman is a, a charmer, as always on screen, and Julia Stiles, of course, what can I say? She's a perennial favorite. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to this, not to mention, I, I should say, uh, not to to uh, forget to mention, Pixie Davies plays the little girl who is hmm. taken away by uh, children who'd been burned alive, it looks like, uh, many years past. Uh, and she looks suitably creepy in this role. Suitably, that, suitably creepy. And just adorable, though. Yes, I mean, adorable. It's one of those adorable kids that is bound to be in horror movies because she's just too cute. She's too cute. That's what happens. The curse of the... It, that's That's it. Yeah. So, and I, I I was questioning why their daughter spoke with a British accent, though. <laughs> She's adopted. Like neither of the, the parents have British accents. Well, but Julia Stiles has a good British accent. Maybe she just tends to break into a British accent during Pixie's formative years. Maybe, maybe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna hang a lantern on that one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, this one opens February twenty seventh, two thousand four. Uh, two, well, it looks like uh, it it has, it is out. I guess. Somewhere else, somewhere, but it is comes it? out in the U.S. February twenty seventh, twenty fifteen. Yes, yes, and I believe it's doing the same thing that mine is. I think yeah, it's, it's day and date, right? Yep, yep, day and date. Yep, yep. Very excited about that. I like these day and date things. Yeah, it is nice, Andy. Yes, the wood is watcha. Plotting their way with Icy Kong to riches far beyond the wildest dreams of ordinary man. A minute later, the guard will appear around this corner and you, Pendlebury, will detain him for at least half a minute. Ask him for a light, ask him the way, ask him anything, but keep him there. We must have those 30 seconds. Edgar. Didn't one supposed to say that when one's being briefed on my rare visits to the kinema? The word is Roger. These men are ruthless. Fear has no meaning for them as they hurl defiance at the law. Help! Help! These men were born to violence and learned to meet the worst that fate could bring with nerves of steel. Run, Dutch, run! Stop those men! These men will stop at nothing, show no mercy. Oh, Andy the Lavender Hill Mob. I have to say, I am loving doing this Alec Guinness series. <laughs> these movies are just so much fun to watch. They're so much fun. Oh, God, this was just <laughs> charming all the way through. I loved it. And I, I have, I'm, I'm really torn on this one because, well, on these films, because I'm, I'm, I'm really finding that it's so charming that I, I may be uh, allowing myself to get snowed. Was this really, I mean, was this a good movie? (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it's one of those things where 
I find that it's because of the type of comedy that it is that I think I I give it a pass on some of the things that I I I think are a little uh, sloppy, but you know it is so stinking fun, and that's the thing that that I love about it. I mean, it's not um, it's not a film that I think is going to, that uh, it's not winning Oscars or anything like that, but. It's just super fun. They've got this great silly story about this this banker who um, his job, his sole job, is to basically help them transport gold. He watches them um, melt the gold, or what is it? Whatever it's called. Um, yeah, and they, they it's yeah, the bullion, it's like right? The they melt down yeah, the smelt down yeah. and the yeah. gold and turn it into and bars. Make bars, and then he rides with them uh, from the 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 place where they make it to the bank and that's all his job is and it's a dull job but he uses it as a way to all of a sudden come up with this wicked plan of how to steal all this gold and uh, you know he's just so Alec Guinness is so much fun to watch in this he's created this this quirky personality with kind of this this uh um does this lisp that he has and just the way he speaks and the way he acts and and the way he looks at things and the way he kind of takes such pride of being the the boss of this gang <laughs> just everything is so silly and it just it keeps going down like you watch as it builds and, and mistakes you know this is one of those great criminal um bank robbery sorts of films where everything seems like it's going well and then mistake after mistake and and you know things keep happening building to the big climactic finale and all the mistakes keep happening here and building and but then they get away with it and it builds to such a great ending it's like you know it's it's a it's a simple type of script but it's just done so well it's so much fun to watch and the the actors i think deliver such great jobs i i mean any problems i have with it i found very easy to overlook Absolutely, and and clearly we are not alone. I mean, this thing is a hundred percent at Rotten Tomatoes. Like this is yeah. just this is a a a clear audience favorite, uh, and for such good reason. I mean, uh, it is uh, it is purely goofy, and it is coincidence stacked upon coincidence that that uh, these characters just seem to keep tripping into the the fact that they. Uh, have to chase these English schoolgirls across Europe uh, <laughs> from the Eiffel Tower to their uh, their English countryside uh, schoolhouse uh, in order to track down these these um, golden Eiffel Tower stat- tourist statues, uh, only to land in an exposition of police. Uh, <laughs> the right. police expo in downtown London is is just a a I mean it is a stunningly goofy uh, conundrum that these gentlemen find them in, and yet uh, Alec Guinness is so so charming, and you can tell he delivers with his his R kind of speech impediment. He he delivers what what should be really horribly diabolical, but it comes off as sweet. Every time he opens his mouth, he's just sweet. I had a blast watching this film. Uh, it is uh, it was directed by uh, Charles Crichton, uh, written by T.E.B. Clark, and uh, it was released uh, in 1951. This is uh, just two years uh, after uh, our film of last week. Uh, it is another one that is told structurally as a flashback. 
Is that a coincidence, or are we gonna? See, is everything we're doing in this series a flashback? I I know one of them is curious isn't. to see. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think so. I think it's just these two at least that we're talking about. But I I fa- that struck me also, and it, it's an interesting framing device, which I think is another interesting one of the voiceover of the, the this would be an interesting subgenre to kind of put together as one of our lists you know the the over talkative criminal yes yes <laughs> who who kind of gives away their whole crime and how they got away with it in, in, and, yeah that's right in both of these movies they <laughs> because they take such great pride in their work Right, exactly. It's like, you know, the the, the birth of uh, James Bond's villains. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me tell you how I what I'm doing and how I got to this point. That is a wonderful connection. I don't think I've ever made that. I'm we're, I'm going to watch James Bond differently now. That's right. Think about the 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 bad guy in prison spilling their life story. And and, and then, that is and that is how it starts, right? He it starts and he's yeah. in where he's in Rio, right? He's and, in Rio, and he is—he's uh, having a conversation and handing out money to patrons at a uh, at a club, at a supper club. Yes, and he begins to regale a stranger uh, that we we don't know. He's he's regaling his tale of of uh, intrigue and espionage, how he got to this place, uh, and that takes us back to his um, to his caper. And uh, the relationships he makes along the way. So it starts, obviously, where he's, he's as you so aptly described, um, he's, he, you know, his job leads him to, uh, his job for 20 years, um, right. you know, doing the same thing over and over leads him to um, be able to, to craft this wonderful caper. But then he needs help. And right. So, he's, figured out, he's figured out everything except for how to actually get the, the gold out of the country. Yes. And then we enter artist Alfred Pendlebury, played by the fantastic Stanley Holloway, a wonderful bookend pair for Alec Guinness in this film. Uh, And he is equally uh, incapable of being a natural criminal, even though he seems to think that he is. He he wears the mantle well, but he is equally goofy. Uh, And they... Uh, come up. He he is as an artist. He has his own. He works at a at a like a a doodad factory. Interestingly called Gugas. Goo is that what it's Gugus? Yeah, I think it's Gugas. I think I it's think Gugas. Is, yeah. I think that's just another word for for doodad, for, right? Doodads. Yeah. Right, yeah. And they make tchotchkes. They make tchotchkes like keychains and little statues all over the world. And he happens to have the smelting uh, machinery required to melt gold and to create molds. Uh, because he's been doing this with molds of the Eiffel Tower that they sell in Paris. So as soon as Alec Guinness discovers this, he he and Alfred Pendlebury, um, they he he approaches him and they they craft a a strong friendship as mm-hmm. mat- criminal masterminds. Oh yes, oh yes. And their first and most wonderful exploit is to recruit other criminals. <laughs> I right. was howling. It was. It's a brilliant bit, uh, particularly the Britishness of them, because they're so they're so proper and they're so um, polite and they're just so nice. And you know, they recruit. Uh, they set up this thing where they're they basically are, are talking too loudly about how uh, you know he needs to get a new uh, a new key for his safe because it won't lock anymore. They're talking too loudly about it. <laughs> 
on the train and everywhere they go and and then they wait for criminals to show up that they can recruit which is so silly but it works they catch uh, they catch two of them they catch uh, lackery wood and shorty fisher played by sydney james and alfie bass or alfie bass which um two great character actors who uh, are so much fun as the additional two criminals in the mob, the and, Lavender Hill mob. And they are supposedly the experienced criminals, but I, I think their their demeanor harkens back to a much more polite uh, era of crime uh, where these guys, they, you know, they, they have a wonderfully civilized conversation with uh with Pendlebury and Holland and then as the crime moves forward they're very patient even though they're the hardened criminals right they're very patient and at the very end uh they say <laughs> they say uh they can't well one of them comes in is it I uh, Lackery Wood Sydney James character comes in and says well I I can't go to Paris um they're they're all supposed to go to Paris to to you know sell the goods and get the money he says I can't go to Paris my wife won't let me <laughs> Right. <laughs> the last thing you expect to hear from a hardened criminal, to which Shorty Fisher responds, I don't really want to go either. These two hardened criminals then trust Holland and Pendlebury to do the deed, finish the job, and give them their share of the money, which is wonderfully sweet. Now, I will say, this time watching it, because I realized I had seen this before, and this time watching it, I, I was kind of looking at that, and I'm like, you know, maybe they are onto these guys and they know how trusting um, Holland and Pendlebury are. And they're going to let them take all the risk by going down to uh, Paris and getting this whole thing done. And then they'll just wait for them to come back with the reward. Did you really? I did not walk away with that. And I, maybe that shows that I am, I don't have the medal for that world. Well, uh, I, I, it's the world I come from. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> Did you? Re- I mean, you really you 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 thought well, that there was I, more I to it than that? It, well, because you know, at first I was buying it when uh, when the first one came in, uh, when Lackery came in and said I can't do it. But when Shorty jumped in and was just like, "Oh yeah, I can't either. Maybe you guys could just bring us our shares back." I was like, "Oh, they're just they don't want to take the risk." I just kind of you know got all cynical then and stopped believing that Lackery and Shorty were good guys. Hmm. Well, there's no joy in your life. Nope. None at all. It it is um, in any case the the chase that ensues is uh, vaudevillian in scope, uh, and it does lead them down the stairs of the Eiffel Tower, which is uh, I have to say a wonderfully dramatic sort of Hitchcockian uh, experience. It's really, I mean, yeah, the, the very dizzying way that they shot it and, and kind of, I mean, they performed it as they run down that spiral staircase. I mean, it does almost make you seasick watching it, you know? And, and that they come down laughing in hysterics as they chase these <laughs> girls down the elevator. And, and uh, you know, as dizzy as I think we are watching it, it really, it really was. But they do these wonderful, like, um, uh, these just great, like, smash zooms, you know, and, and, uh, uh, fantastic spiral i don't know i you know and i don't know how they ended up how they did this do you have any idea how they did the 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 great spiral stuff i mean i know there was a there was a projection screen uh but the uh the, My, nev- the never-ending spiral staircase 
Yeah, my my sense uh, from it was it was a uh, like just a, a you know just from watching. I I couldn't find anything, but just my sense of it is it, it was like on a set, and they just had this staircase that spun. The camera was locked in place, yeah, and then they just kind of ran down the stairs, and they just kind of and, and as the, as it spun, they stayed essentially in the same spot so that the camera could film them, and it looked like the camera was whizzing around the staircase with them. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, just, I mean, what do you, I, I don't, as I was watching, I was thinking, I don't think we have anything that's more than, you know, three stories of stairs. No, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I, it is really I mean, great. And it's very effective. I mean, it, it works really well. It just, it just is so, so dizzying. Right, right. Uh, it really is. It, uh, it is. It, it's really both it, it's strangely claustrophobic i think sitting in the because you're in the interior structure skeletal structure of the eiffel tower and it is really compressed on this little tiny staircase particularly when the actors then are hugging the central column of this yeah. staircase it just everything gets very very small and i think it starts with that great uh cut of uh uh Pendlebury as he first looks down the stairs and the camera shows the stairs in this giant column and then smashes back to him and his eyes get really wide it's just a um it's a a shocking i i think it's a really shocking turn for that next like 2 minutes uh the film actually you know kind of sheds its comedy a little bit and and becomes more of a wonderful chase thriller it was an interesting, almost a prelude to Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, to Hitchcock's Vertigo, just the way that you had that sense of, um, that dizzying sense of an actor looking down a long, a, 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 a kind of a deep space and having that moment of, of kind of that dizzying inability to kind of look at it and just the way things feel like they're stretching. It, uh, it it was actually really kind of nice, and I thought it was very effective. And this was what like seven years before Vertigo, yeah. uh, so it was, it was a nice little um, a nice little thing. I, I don't know if Hitchcock kind of pulled from that in order to kind of build into Vertigo, but I thought it was a really nice prelude to it. Me too. At the rest of the film after we after this, uh, you know, normally I think a. a this point right this is this is sort of the turn now now we're into the chase of the caper and yeah. and this is where many I, I think many films of this ilk kind of lose steam i did not find myself uh you know losing interest in this or fatiguing from the chase uh as they the the next sequence is is you know nearly slapstick as they try to board a boat uh, <laughs> nearly <laughs> yeah, right they tried to board a boat and you and and it's one of those jokes that goes on long enough that you stop laughing and then begin laughing again right uh it's it's played really really well can you describe what i'm talking about well yeah they're they're trying to uh follow these these english schoolgirls because you know i mean they've made these gold eiffel towers in order to get the gold out of england into paris his distributor accidentally pulls the wrong box and starts selling them. They notice that when they're <laughs> at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And, and, they see and why? Because uh, <laughs> it has an R on the box, and they notice the but, box is open, sitting in the back but of But that's the, not an, air, an R, it's an air. Yeah, right. <laughs> like the weirdest language flub. I know, it is so strange. Like, I told you not to do anything with an R on it. It's not an R, monsieur. It's an air. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Very strange. Yeah, well, they notice that, and they, they find out that six girls have bought 
these things. And so they, then they, and it's, it's so funny because these schoolgirls, it's almost like they know. They because totally every time, know. Every time they cut to the schoolgirls, they're all staring at them and giggling. <laughs> <laughs> so. And so is their school mom, like looking at them, glaring at them. They know they're being chased. Yeah, it is so funny. And so then they kind of pursue these girls all through Paris to the docks to get, I think it's in Calais, to get um, on the ship to go back over to England. And um, and they're trying to get on the ship. And of course, first they need the passports. And so they, because uh, the boat guy won't let them on. So they go to get the passports. And then the guy won't let them on because they haven't had their luggage checked. And so they go and get their luggage checked. And then the guy won't let them on because they haven't declared their currency or something like that. And then they have to go because they have to went through the wrong door. And it's like this, this this circus of these antics that they they keep going through that just gets more and more ridiculous that it feels so slapstick. Um but it's it's just one of those things that works so well um in the it's the sort of comedy that can really not work or it can really work depending on on the film really. And it works and, on the shoulders of Stanley Holloway. Yes, absolutely, because you, you totally buy into it because he's just feeling how absolutely ridiculous this whole thing is. And then they finally go through the whole thing. And, of course, the the dinglings outside, who <laughs> were the ones who told them to go through this whole rigmarole, don't stop the ship from leaving. And then they come outside <laughs> and the ship is left port. It's so ridiculous, but it, because of the whole thing, it just ends up working perfectly, and it's just hilarious. And then so they, they pursue these girls to their school back in England. You know what what I love about that sequence is something that I love about just the 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 entire kind of gestalt of the film that all of these antics and and all of the antics around the caper itself his job you know the fact that he works for this company that that tries to you know uh, that that has these sort of failed attempts to to lift him up in the company but he he is just perfectly happy where he is they don't notice that something is going on the uh the school the uh the the business at the Eiffel Tower does the wrong thing you know they pull the wrong box and begin selling the wrong uh, goods the ship uh, the systems around the ship the the administration of the ship allows it to leave even though they know these paying customers are sitting there the film does a wonderful job of lampooning businesses and you know the political systems uh, you know and we haven't even gotten to the police yet oh, yeah, uh, right. you know the the entire film exists really to uh, you know, to drive home this uh, sort of sly, sideways look at the systems which we all tend to pledge so much of our lives, and I think that's one of the reasons I think the film holds up so well for me. That the message itself is one that we could very easily and and do often see even today. Absolutely. So uh, from there, they, we do uh, begin to see the the police. Mm-hmm. As they they chase the girls, they exchange the um, uh, most of the Eiffel Towers. There were six Eiffel Towers they were chasing. Uh, one girl has kept hers, uh, and so they chase her, and she ends up at the police exhibition. And Which this is, so is this is when we end up with the um, you know I I you know I, I guess you know at in nineteen fifty one it was uh, or it was still a uh, reasonably fresh take on policing in Britain. Let's have all of them in one place and then make them all run around in circles. 
But what I love so much about this police exhibition is that they were actually doing live crime criminology like there on this right. very case. <laughs> right, testing. like his right, the detective who uh, you know, <laughs> in like he's a been trade helping. show booth. Right. Let's check this and see what happens with uh, check the gold dust from this. <laughs> Let's put it in this little bucket of water. <laughs> it was it was really I mean it's it is wonderful again lampooning systems here we are you know really minimizing the work of police by making it uh, making them have to do it in a fishbowl uh, as schoolgirls are walking by watching them do their work it was it's, it's just funny. perfect uh, and then the chase and then we have the chase up uh, over around and through uh, various set pieces uh, uh, and, and until the gentlemen run out of the police hall and steal a police car right and now we the chase through the city ensues um, you the know, best part here was when they have to give a ride to the police I know <laughs> <laughs> And he hides, he disguises the fact that it's a police car by putting his hat over the radio, which right. is apparently the only telltale sign that they are, in fact, driving a police car. Exactly. And then, of course, somehow with some crossed wires, um, the apparently popular tune at the time, Old MacDonald. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everybody singing that song? Comes on. Oh, so funny. And you've got this uh, this cop riding along the side of the car as they're taking him down to the uh, the call box. And he's just singing along to old McDonald. Uh, he is. It, uh, it was terrific. Hilarious. That was that that joke, I think, is actually made uh, funnier with time. Yes, And not just quaint, but really that old McDonald was a popular tune on the radio. Yeah, you kind of forget that these songs that kids sing in like kindergarten were actually at one time really popular tunes that that everybody was singing. It's like kind of like what you see in uh, uh, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" How everybody's jamming along to "You Are My Sunshine." Yes, yeah. Um, you know, the my son's in the third grade, and they're they're learning uh, "Satellite" by the Dave Matthews Band. Oh, well, there you go. I see it just keeps going. Uh, so, uh, then we, let's see from there, where do we go? They, they get caught. The, the police grab Holloway, um, or I should say Pendlebury. And, uh, as he yells, run Dutch run, because at this point they've given themselves, um, you know, mob nicknames. Fantastic. And that's, uh, and that I believe leads us to the, the bookend of the flashback. Right, which is you know it's it's funny because as I was watching this film, I couldn't remember the the whole the framing device, but I, I was going, gosh, why do criminals just sit there and tell their whole story? It's so nonsensical. I hope there's some logical thing that happens at the end that makes it all seem logical. Like I thought maybe he told this guy, and then the guy would reveal himself to be a policeman and arrest him. Well. Sure enough, I, I, it was actually brilliant reveal when he's like, all right, are you ready? And they stand up and you see that he's been handcuffed to this guy the whole time. I thought that was a great reveal. I really enjoyed that. Truly, it truly was. And and it's one of those funny, uh, you know, it's one of those funny things that even as far as this film does not take itself seriously, the at least the script doesn't, cinemat- uh, cinematographically. Uh, it, it really does. And those are some of the sequences that I think, or that is one of the sequences I think that really highlights it. Just what a, what a nice reveal and closing shot into the, the, the kind of, um, the, the receding lines of the entry hall of the, of the supper club as they walk out, uh, 
together, handcuffed together. Um, it, it was a really nice close. Yeah, yeah, truly. Although it, it, this time it made me ask myself, why would the cop, if he knows he's arresting this guy because he stole three million dollars in gold or however much he ended up getting away with with those six Eiffel Towers that he had. Why would the cop let him go on like giving all the money away to all these people? It's like, oh here, give this to your charity. I oh, know this is for you. Go buy yourself something, you sweet thing. It's just like oh, but you know, those are the sorts of things you don't worry about too much when you're watching a movie like this. That's really funny. I, I did not make that connection. <laughs> I didn't make that at all. Like, just let him give the money away. What That's right. Think? That's okay. I already caught you. Give it away. Uh, let's uh, talk about uh, the good director, uh, Charles Crichton. Mm, yes. You know, um, he's a director who directed a good number of comedies uh, uh, of, at the Ealing Studios. And he kind of went on to direct lots of stuff, um, including... Which kind of blows my mind a little bit. Are a, you going to say my very fish favorite comedy? Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. He was nominated for an Oscar for best director and best original screenplay um, for a Fish Called Wanda in 1988, which just is just so exciting. To oh see my! That this is the same guy. Goodness. Oh, it is that. That was the, that floors me. It just floors me that he directed that film. His oh, last yeah. film. Uh, he, yeah, he's been all over the place, very, very active, uh, all the way through the eighties. Um, and, but I, I have not seen, I don't think, I don't think I've seen any other films of his. I think the only other one that I've seen other than, uh, Fish, Fish Called, Called Wanda is Dead of Night, uh, the, uh, the Ealing Studios, uh, uh, horror anthology that we talked about last week. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great little one. It's, it's nothing that's very serious. It's just. You know, it's just a fun little thing to watch. And uh, yeah, he directed one of the stories in that as well. Just well, like our director last week. What, uh, so, uh, so can you make any, uh, can you connect any dots between the Lavender Hill mob and a fish called Wanda? Um, I, I think that it's, it's the comedy pacing. I mean, I think that this is a director who understands the way that uh, a, uh, that comedy works. And I think, because Fish Called Wanda, I think, I agree with you, I, I, it's not my favorite comedy, but it's way up there. I think that the the comedy is just spot on perfect. It's got this great level of the Britishness of, of, the, of the comedy and how that plays with kind of the American all through that film. But it's the pacing of the comedy and it's the, the, building, the building up of of crazy situations that you buy into because you buy into these these crazy characters who um, who work so well in the situation, and so I think uh, I mean I think that's why he was nominated for an Oscar, two Oscars for a Fish Called Wanda, because he he not only knows how to tell the story, but he knows how to direct the story so that the comedy beats are working perfectly. And I think the Lavender Hill Mob is a perfect example of a film that he made earlier in his career. I mean, you know, this is a guy who started directing in the in the uh, mid 40s so this was only about 6 years into him directing films um who already had a very solid sense of how to direct a comedy film and have all the beats hit so that it actually works and everything just kind of keeps building and the comedy uh the pace of it works the way that it's supposed to in order to deliver the uh the story in in the funniest way possible 
I think you're right, and we you know we talk about this whole the the um, the cascading coincidences. Right. Uh, this is uh, you know the, I, I think the DNA of the comedy of this style of comedy is that you know any one of these events you know just needing to see the passport, just needing to go through the right door, just needing to check your luggage, just needing to etc. Any one of those events is not funny. Mm-hmm. But when you stack them all, it becomes um, – it, it is when we, we start to feel the comedy. And that's one of the things I think the same thing could be said for A Fish Called Wanda. It's just one after another of these individual events that, that lead to um, this just cavalcade of awesome. That's what Absolutely. it is. Yeah. You're right. Uh, so that's, uh, that's Charles Crichton. Um, mm-hmm. who, let's see, T.E.B. Clark. What do we know about T.E.B. Clark? Uh, T.E.B. Clark, I, I think was also a, uh, he wrote a number of the Ealing comedies. I think he and, uh, Charles Crichton worked shortly after this on, uh, on the, the, uh, the Titfield Thunderbolt, a, uh, an interestingly named film about uh, a comedy film about a, a train that a bunch of people take over. And, uh, they worked on that comedy together and uh, T.E.B., I, you know, I, I think he um, actually, you know, I shouldn't have spoken earlier about uh, the Oscars for this film not getting any because he actually um, won an Oscar for this script for Lavender Hill Mob. So, uh, so there you go. I was incorrect in saying that a film like this uh, doesn't get uh, Oscar nominations, but there you go. It, well, it what you could say is if a, a film like this likely wouldn't get Oscars today. Right, right, right. Um, it, it's just, it's a very smart script. And so he, I think very, uh, very rightly so ended up winning this, uh, the screenplay, um, Oscar best original screenplay for this. And then what was he up against in 1951? It was, uh, the atomic city, the sound barrier, Pat and Mike and Viva Zapata. Uh, none of which I have seen, so I can't speak to those, but, um, uh, but T.E.B. Clark is one of those um, comedian or screenwriters who also wrote novels. And he actually wrote a book. I, I, I get a sense from this that he kind of has a little bit of that Coen Brothers sense of humor as, as far as how he played reality versus uh, fiction. Because in 1981, he wrote a novel, a non, quote-unquote nonfiction book called Murder at Buckingham Palace, which actually was all about this hushed-up murder that happened in 1935 and included all these you know photos and everything. But it actually was just a fiction book. Hmm. So I think he was one of those guys who just kind of liked to play with that yeah. The reality, you know, putting comedy into the real world and stuff like that. Right, right. So, um, other uh, characters that you would like to uh, talk about specifically, I'm trying to find right now, and, and it's only because I forgot her name. One of my very favorite characters in the film is it Miss Eversham, who is oh. the uh, the <laughs> the woman he reads the crime caper novels to. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, played was by it, was uh, Miss Eddie Martin. Was that her? Uh, Boy, that's a good question. I can't remember which one she was, but I got uh, them so confused. There were so many. Uh, there were there were several um, older ladies in the boarding house where they lived, and one of them is just a treat. And I am embarrassed that I lost her name. I think it's Miss Eversham who ran the the boarding house. Um, it's either that or Mrs. Chalk. I can't remember. Oh, that's true. 
Uh, either way, uh, no, I don't think it would be Mrs. Chalk because looking at a picture of her in 1948, that was not, mm. that was not her. Gotcha. Well, maybe it was. She was born in 1892. Oh, so it could have been. It could have been her. Hmm. But well, I, either I, way. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. I, I loved that character um, because Holland would always read her these these crime stories. And so when she's being questioned by the police about, you know, just uh, the goings on and stuff, she's like, which hoodlums specialize in, in uh, Toby jobs? <laughs> like she's asking them all of these questions. She about. She knows criminals. all the language, all this fantastical language from the, from her books, which end up being just um, yeah, they, they really put this, these these uh, uh, set these guys on their ears. It's a it's a wonderful sequence. It was very funny. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the, uh, did you have anything to add about the good Stanley Holloway of, um, of My Fair Lady fame? Yeah, right. Other than that, um, and Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, which, I, you know, I've never seen the film. I only know about it because of Herman's Hermit's song, which I've heard billions of times. Can you, can you sing a little bit for, of it for us? Because I, I just can't seem. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. <laughs> That's about all I remember. Really? It's because yeah, I was title. just getting into it. I hadn't started to snap yet, but <laughs> the snapping was was coming. It was coming. My fingers were ready. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, no, other than the fact that I just loved him in this film, I thought he was fantastic. Um, He's, uh, you know, he's one of those great actors who just had a great face. And, uh, you know, he, I think he received an Oscar nomination for actually an award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance as uh, Eliza's father in My Fair Lady, which he, I guess, uh, created on uh, Broadway. Mm -hmm. Very famous for the role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, we have... um Alec Guinness is the reason we are talking about this film. Mm-hmm. And he is absolutely wonderful with the, uh, you know, I, I, it's sort of hard to describe just how well he ad- adopts this character mantle. Yeah. He, I, I mean, he is, it, it is so easy to believe him as this guy with this, the the speech is just so fluid. Like at no point did I doubt that he was really struggling with a, a legitimate speech impediment. Right, right, right. It's go ahead. Well, I was going to say, coming off of the last film, which I mean, he wasn't the lead in the last film, but he certainly played a lot of characters in mm-hmm. the last film. It was a great opportunity to just really see kind of the the breadth of what he could do as far as just creating characters. This was our first real opportunity in this series to really look at Alec Guinness and what he can do with just one role when he's uh, just running the whole uh, film. Uh, He's carrying the whole film with that character. He really holds on to it uh, just wholly and completely the whole time. And uh, it just really, I mean, made me buy into this whole character and how he, this, 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 you know, kind of timid bank uh, bank guy who um, you know has delusions of grandeur in the criminal world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not only that, I mean, he he manifests that all the way through. He, he manifested in his walk that sort of slow shuffle, uh, in the hunch of his shoulders, in the cut of his suits, the way he wears his hat. Uh, it is all just 
perfectly um, nondescript, uh, which which makes the caper itself so fantastic. I think one of the one of the most wonderful sequences I think that tests his chops as an actor, staying in character, is when uh, he needs the guys to tie him up and tape his face and and roll him in the dust. Uh, right. And he still, even as he's rolling himself in the dust with his face taped and covered, uh, he still has that sort of broken shuffle and that broken hunched shoulder. Um, and and you know, as he trips and throws himself into the into the river, um, he's just great. Yeah, he is. That was an interesting moment because I felt watching it when they put his glass, take his glasses off and they put them in the case and put the case in his pocket. Mm-hmm. I was convinced. I'm like, ah, oh, that's going to be the giveaway to the cops and that's going to lead the cops uh, to help them uh, um, figure out that, that he was involved. But uh, it was an interesting little red herring that I totally bought into. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, there were a number of those those little twists that, that didn't actually end up playing out at all. Right. Uh, these wonderful little MacGuffins. They were. Uh, yes, they were. Yes. Um, all right. And the other two uh, gentlemen capers, uh, Sidney James, uh, is um, very funny. Sidney James and Alfie Bass. Yeah, Sid James uh, came to be known as the grand old man of dirty laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was rather lascivious and uh, a, quite an interesting um, TV personality for I, through the through the uh, I think the late fifties into the sixties. Um, so he was uh, quite popular uh, on the small screen for a long time. And Alfie Bass, wow, what a career that guy had too! Yeah, another one that just was around for a long time. Lots of stuff. I mean, these were all early on in the careers for both of these guys. Right. I mean, he he uh, died of a heart attack in '87, so uh, he he kept busy. He was even in Moonraker, Revenge of the Pink Panther. I mean, he was around for a long time. Staples, staples. Mm-hmm. Uh, other uh, other folks you want to highlight? Um, well, I think it's worth uh, you know they're not big highlights of the film, but it's definitely worth pointing out that Audrey Hepburn. Pops up early in the film as Chiquita. She's uh, one that uh, uh, Holland gives some money to to go buy a gift for herself. And, oh my goodness! Uh, I know, isn't that crazy? That is really crazy. Um, I didn't. I didn't even catch it. She leans down and hugs him real close. Right. Exactly. Oh and my Robert, gosh! Robert Shaw pops in. This is uh, his first film appearance. Um, of course, we talked about him back on Jaws. But here he pops up as a as the, uh, the police laboratory technician um, in the little police expo. He's one of the guys who's examining the uh, Eiffel Tower in the in the end there. That's right, Robert Shaw. And uh, and last but not least, um, everybody who's a fan of James Bond will know the name Desmond Llewellyn. Yes, he, uh, yeah, as uh, as uh, Q. Q. Well, he actually is one of the customs officials in. Uh, in the uh, scene we were talking about when they're trying to get on the boat. Oh, that's too funny. I know. Crazy. That is crazy. Uh, I didn't, I didn't catch any of those. I admit I, not a one. Now I, after we finish this, I have to go back and watch those scenes again. I know you want to go check them and go, Oh, there they are. There they are. Look, that's too funny. (laughs) Um, uh, Of course we talked uh, much about uh, Douglas Slocum last week. 
Mm-hmm, yeah, back to to shoot this one again. And I, mm-hmm. again, I think this was a period in his career where he created just very solid looking black and white cinematography that works really well telling the story. And we talked about the the creative way they did the uh, the race down the Eiffel Tower. I mean, I, I think the work in this is very effective for the comedy that they're they're using in the film. Absolutely agree. And I, I you know, it, once again, I, I found myself and I, I think you see in the stills that, uh, you know, that we grab from the film, they're, they're really, you know, they're just some wonderful uh, framing, some wonderful lighting, uh, just really iconic looks at these characters and, and, um, uh, you know, positions of these characters in the frame, I think are, are quite innovative um, and, and striking for this era. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, anybody else on your list? Nope. The only other thing I was going to mention is that uh, there was actually a Canadian rock band that uh, that popped up in the late 70s that named themselves Lavender Hill Mob. And I guess they had two albums released. And uh, um, yeah, the, the LA Times wrote that the lead singer, Nikki Prigeno's romantic delivery is a cross between Paul McCartney and Rupert Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> so all right then yeah yeah well i think on that note uh did you were you able to find anything Mm. on how this film performed once again the long list of british disappointments it is it really (laughs) is just disappointment in the fact that i can't find nothing yeah it's uh i couldn't find just a, a single bit of information about any financial what it cost what it made i couldn't find anything but uh as you pointed out at the beginning, I mean, right now critics say 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. This film is is well-loved, so we can only hope that it was uh, well-received at the box office back in 1951. Truly. And with that, let's rate it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can check out all of our stack rankings and join us. Join the next, join the, the, the flick chart, and you should start loading in your movies. And let's see if your movies uh, ever want to go on a date with our movies. They mm. could maybe find some fun time together in mm. an amusement park. My. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Lavender Hill Mob. Oh, this is a great first pairing. The Lavender Hill Mob are Kind Hearts and Coronets. Lavender Hill Mob. Yeah, I, I I feel like I don't know. I kind of want to say kind hearts and cornets, but it's just I'm I'm kind of torn between the two. Um, I'll you know I'll tell you why. And this is this goes back to uh, this, this goes back to what you said earlier. And this this is the first time we get we in our series at least have gotten to see uh, Alec Guinness really pull a role. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll give you that. Lavender Hill Mob. It is Lavender Hill Mob or City of God. Ooh. Oh, good grief. I know. I, I'm going to have to go City of God yeah, on this City one. City of God. But we still love you, Lavender Hill Mob. Lavender Hill Mob or 28 Days Later? <laughs> mm. Yeah. 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so guilty. I know. Lavender Hill Mob or Sweeney Todd, the demon bobber of Fleet Street? I'm going to go Sweeney Todd. Yeah, me too. Nice and bloody. The Lavender Hill Mob or Creep Show? Ooh. Oh, Lavender Hill Mob for me. Yeah, Creep Show is an awfully fun and guilty pleasure, though. I think I would do Creep Show. Really? Maybe it's just because I've seen it so many stinking times. Yeah. 
Uh, would you do it real a lot? I would. Really? I, I don't know that. I'll give you Lavender Hill Mob on this one though. I, I feel I feel flexible on this one. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Lavender Hill Mob or being John Malkovich? Ooh, I would say John Malkovich. Yeah. Well, look at that number seventy-eight. Bittersweet. Yeah, it's seventy-eight out of one sixty-seven. Yeah, it broke the top hundred. That's good. Yes, it did. Nice. Yes, it did. What is the if you some you're standing in an elevator, Andy? You're standing in an elevator, and somebody says to you, "Hey." I think I might watch Lavender Hill Mob, or maybe I'll watch Rush. What's the one reason that you would encourage them to watch Lavender Hill Mob over Rush? You know, I think I would say uh, this: it's a great, uh, it's a great, fun, light comedy that is, has great pacing and it has great performance by Alec Guinness and the rest of the the mob that uh, we get to see. I think so too. For me, uh, this one is—it's—it's it's all about the such a charming, family-friendly caper. But this being able to, uh, you know, and I hang out with a lot of speech pathologists. So for me, uh, I'd be able to to say you could spend a couple of hours diagnosing a wonderfully comedic speech impediment. <laughs> totally, totally that worth it. Like a fun evening. <laughs> Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, we're going to be uh, land right in the middle of our series with the man in the white suit. Oh, here it is. Here this it is. is. The big one. This is the big one. The foundation of the show. Well, I look forward to watching this one again. I get such a wonderful, charming chuckle out of this film, and uh, I don't know if it'll hold up to Lavender Hill Mob. I, I really quite love it, but... Um, well, we'll see you next week. We shall. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Until then, I got to go to bed. I got this little Eiffel Tower statue I'm going to go take down to the police expo. These are really rich reviews, I think, this year. I think both of ours really showcase just how rich the quality of reviews have have gotten. Well, I think it it boils down to um, the fact that these are British films. And, you know, as the foundation of the English language, I think Mm -hmm. that people chose this as an opportunity to really put the English language to to the best use possible. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, would you like to do the honors? Uh, sure, sure. Or Mine is a four-star review by okay. Stoney. And this is, it's, it's very eloquent. Okay. Stoney says, okay. Hmm. Thank you, Stoney. Stoney. Uh, mine is a follow-up. It is a five-star review from mm. Floyd Lorenz, who says, pleased. Wow. Thank you, Thank you very much, Amazon. <laughs> Once again, proving comments are a real boon to the internet. I've been podcasting since 2006. 
In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.